Good morning, my name is uh, Stephen Archie, and I'm one of the elders in the church for those who are visiting us for the first time. I'm just one of the messengers. I am not the lead messenger, but I'm one of the messengers. This morning, I have something that I have to be an instrument for God to pass through to everybody. It's been a revelation, continuous revelation concerning this area. So many men of God and women of God have preached on this topic. Many of you have read the place way more than I have done. But I discovered something that in the past couple of days and weeks, I remained in the same place on a daily basis. And each day I see more and more than I have seen the previous time. So this morning we're going to discuss, we're going to share a topic that I call perceive and prepare. Perceive and prepare. It takes one day for a life of a person to change, either to the negative or to the positive. But this morning we are going to talk about the one day it took in the life of one person and it changed the course of history in the life of that person. And for me, looking on daily basis in this same passage, I began to pray that, Lord, I want to have this one day for my life to change forever. One day that even my unbelief did not stop what God desired to do in my life. And I believe that you will want to come to the point, to the place in life where even your unbelief will not stop what God desires to do in your life. Because many times we know that our unbelief may stop God in the tracks. We know the scripture talks about belief and unbelief. But this morning, I want us to look carefully in a scripture, in an area that will affect every aspect of our lives. Perception is very, very important in life. When you perceive correctly, it will change your life. When you do not perceive correctly, perception in the sight of God becomes a revelation that brings transformation. It takes the word of God from just the spoken aspect to the point of divine transformation and performance. This morning we are looking at every aspect of ones and everybody who is involved in this. And because of this, it's been laid in my heart, it's been strong in my heart, and I know it is strong in the heart of the elders that the church will undertake some period of fasting. And this area has been a prayer point constantly that I believe that we're going to use in the period of fasting. And I'm going to read right quick in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. We have read this place many times, but we are going to dissect it this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. From verse 8, it reads, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she entreated him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in hither to eat bread. In this first verse, I want us to look at six things. He said, it fell on a day. Another translation said, one day, one day, 
we come into encounter with God that transforms our lives. He said one day, Elisha passed through Shunem. And that translation says, Elisha was passing through Shunem. And the Bible says, and at Shunem there was a great woman. A woman whom the Bible chose not to identify by name. And I want us to look at how do you think you will feel when you have done such a great thing for God, yet in the church you are not recognized by name? How do you think you will feel having been doing so much in the church, having been doing so much in the vineyard of God, yet nobody can identify you by name? Would you prefer to be identified by name or would you prefer that God identifies you? God chose not to identify this woman by name and just says she is a certain Shunammite woman. Many of you are Americans and said an American woman. It could be anybody in this place. He said, and it came to pass one day that Elisha was passing through Shunem. Elisha in the Old Testament represents the move of God. Elisha, being a man, if you understand and have followed the ministry of Elisha and Elijah, they were never in one place. They were moving from one area to another, from one place to the other. But on this day, the ministry of Elijah come into contact with a woman. Or the woman came into contact with the ministry of Elijah, whichever way you want to look at it. And I want you to listen this morning and write this down as one of your prayer points. If you're in ministry and you chose to serve the Lord, you might be going from one place to the other. You might have no money. You might be poor. You might lack certain basic needs. But one of your prayers will be that God should produce your Shunammite. For we look at this message only concerning the Shunammite woman. But we have not looked at it from the perspective of Elisha, a man in ministry moving from one place to the other that have to encounter somebody who says, I need you to have some meal. Many people have been disappointed in ministry because what they expect did not come to pass. They expect to have money. They expect to have finances and provisions. But when God positions your Shunammite, your needs will be met without you asking for it. Elisha didn't go begging for money. Elisha did not go. But God who sent him provided a Shunammite. And the Shunammite woman, when he, she encountered Elisha, the Bible says that she entreated him, she persuaded him to eat bread. Then the Bible went further to say that she was a great woman. Why will God identify somebody as great yet the person is a jendo? What God is trying to tell you and I that anybody here could be the Shunammite. Anybody here could be regarded as great in the sight of God if you going to build and prepare the same way that the Shunammite woman prepared for God. And we have to understand this morning that your end is in your beginning. He said she entreated him to eat bread. And the Bible said, and so it was. 
That means it became, it came to pass. Elijah ate bread. And then the Bible went for that to say that as often as he passed by, he resorted to the place to eat bread. How would you be in life, in ministry of God, and God has a permanent provision for you? That every time you are passing through, there is always something for you to eat. You don't look forward to anything else, but there's a provision of God in your life. This is to anybody who want to be a minister. That God is saying there's a Shunammite somewhere. It could be a Shunammite man. It could be a Shunammite woman somewhere set that will take care of you when you are ready to take care of the things of God. And he says, that so it came to be that any time that he passed through, he will go there and eat. The next verse says, verse 9, And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passes by us continually. You didn't get this. In relationship, your perception determines what happened in the course of the relationship. God is talking about relationship. If, if, if you are unmarried in this place, before you go into any permanent relationship, you must first test the relationship. The woman did not just bring Elisha to want to build for him. She tested until she perceived that he was a man of God. There could be a lot of wolves in sheep clothing. There could be a lot of men who pretend to be men of God. There could be a lot of women who pretend to be women of God. Until you step into that relationship before you discover that what you saw at the cover is not what the book says on the inside. The woman had to test the relationship. And through testing the relationship, she perceived that this is a move of God that passes her by every day. When you perceive that God is moving in your life, in your ministry, in the church, what do you do? It is wanting to say, oh, God is working, God is moving. When God is moving, what do you do? Here comes for the things that we need to do if we are to retain the presence and the move of God in our life, in our family, in our ministry. The Bible says she went to her husband and said, Behold, now I perceive. I want to tell you something here. Every woman who is more spiritual than her husband, hear this. Hear this. She went to her husband and said, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God. That passes by us. He said what? Please let us. Now I want you to pay attention here. It is easy for people who are more spiritual than their husbands. To lord it over their husbands and say listen. God spoke to me. It's going to be this way or no way. God is about relationship. God is about building. It's not about tearing. If you are more if you are more spiritual than your husband and you perceive it, you have to still accord that respect and relationship by coming to him to share the revelation of God with him. He said, I perceived this. But if you look further in the context, he said, let us. Let us. 
She did not say, let me, or you should. In order to retain the presence of God that has been passing by your family, there must be a harmony in the presence of God. There must be harmony. There must be cohesiveness. There must be agreement. Irrespective of where the revelation comes from, if it is the revelation of God, your husband will buy into it. If it is your own desire or your own ambition, he will not buy into it. He said, let us please build a place for the man of God. Now, this is where it comes very interesting. She perceived that he was a man of God. She perceived that the move of God has been passing by just a little bit. He comes in and eats and he goes. The presence of God comes into you and he leaves. In order for you to retain him, to have your body, the living sacrifice, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, you must do the things that will retain the Holy Spirit in your life. You must do the things that retain the Holy Spirit in your family. You must do the things that the Shunammite woman did. And we're going to look at the things that she did and the symbolic reasons and what it represents. He said, let us please build him a chamber. I want you to see, when she perceived he was a man of God, she said, let us build him a chamber above where we live, upstairs, above us. The first thing that I see in that place, if you have to retain the presence of God in your house, you have to create a room for God. You must create a room for God in your life. You cannot just expect the Holy Spirit to come the way it was in the Old Testament and the Bible says and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he performed and the Spirit departed. The Spirit of God is looking for a place to dwell permanently. If you understand the move of God, you want the Spirit to remain and abide in you. He said, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set him there, a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a lampstand. Here is the sweet aspect. The Bible says, she said, let us make the room have you made room for God? I want you to answer the question. If you're going to be a part of the fasting, one of your prayer points will be, Lord, I want to make room for you. I want to make room for you to come into the family. The challenges that we have in our families are self-inflicted. But if we make room for the presence of God to come in, something will change. He said, let us make room. Where do you intend to make the room for God? Are you making the room for God in your bathroom or you're making the room for God above your own dwelling place? She chose to elevate God to sit above where she and her husband dwells. She chose a higher dimension for the presence and the power of God to be. Say, so let us make the room above and let us have a bed, a table, a chair, and a candlelight. And I'm going to start with a table. If you're going to retain the power and the presence of God in your life and in your family, you must have a table. A table is your heart. It's a place of communion. The table represents a place of fellowship. 
Jesus said, I'm at the door knocking. If any man opens, I will come in and do what? And eat with him. Where will Jesus eat with you? On the ground or on the table? On the table. In the upper room. Before the crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples to go and prepare the table in the what? Upper room. A place of communion. Who is sitting on your table? Whoever sits in your, on your table is whom you will commune with. In order to create a greater relationship with God, the Shunammite woman provided a table. And there is no greater way to know somebody and have a good conversation other than the what? On the table, on the meal, over a meal. She created a provision with her husband. A place where they can have fellowship. Where they can have communion. Where they can grow intimately with God. They created a table because the Bible says, what? He created a table before me in the presence of what? My enemies. The table is a place of fellowship. The table is a place of communion. She made details. Why would God make details of chair, table, lampstand, and a bed? If you're having a guest in your house, all you need to say, I have a room here for you. He don't tell, oh, I have a bedroom. I have a chair there. I have a light. I have a lampstand. No. But when God decides to put some certain details, it has meaning and purpose. The table is the place of fellowship, communion. A place of intimacy. Because now she wants God to dwell. She don't want God to pass her by anymore. Elisha was coming, eating and passing by. We as Christians have been allowing the Holy Spirit to come, feed with us, and he departs. But we have to create the place, our body, our life, our family, and make it very comfortable for the Holy Spirit to dwell and stay. He had a table. The next thing, he has a chair. Other than the stoning of Stephen, every place you see Jesus Christ referred in the Bible with the Father, I say, and he seated. He pro, she provided a chair representing the throne of God. Having a throne, that's the representation of authority, of power. Who is sitting on your chair? In your family? In your marriage? In your ministry? With your children? Who is sitting on the chair? She and her husband provided a chair for Elisha to sit representing the throne, the authority, the power, whose authority they are subject to. He gave them a cheer. Remember, he did not say cheers. Remember, every time Elisha comes, Elisha comes with Gehazi. But there was one cheer. There was one bed. There was one candlestick. Elisha, representing the move of God, the woman perceived that this is God in my house. And she said, I'm not going to let you come in and go. I'm going to create a room for you. I want you to dwell with me permanently. She provided a chair. She provided a table. She provided a bed. A place of rest. All our challenges need to be brought to God if we have a place of rest. The Bible referred to this woman as a great woman. Yet, when you dig deeper, you will see that she has a need, just like every one of us here has something that you need. He said, she provided a table, a chair, a bed, 
and a lamp. The Bible says your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your word is the light unto my feet. Jesus Christ is the light. She provided light in the place. Light came in. She has been doing everything she could. But time came when she had no choice than to allow light to come in. If, have you ever dressed in the dark? When you come out in the light and look in the mirror, you realize that what you're putting on is not what you intended to put on. Why? Because there was no light. He provided light with her husband. The lampstand. The Bible says you cannot light a candle and put it under a bushel. You have to put it what? In a lampstand. She provided it. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. She made a room for the light to shine over any darkness that may have been in her family. And then I'll round up right quick because there's too many rabbits to pursue in this place. In this thing alone, but I don't want to seem like a scattered brain, so I want to be focused. There's too many things. This woman had a need. This woman had challenges. But the purpose of what she was doing was not for her problems to be solved. It became her character. It became a lifestyle. It became a part of her life to, to, to provide for God and allow God to dwell in her life. There is no disappointment if you have no expectations. You get disappointed because you had an expectation. She was being herself. She was demonstrating why God called her great. She was overlooking her needs and her challenges in order to provide for God. She was serving God as a purpose and as a character of her life. She was not doing it to be seen or recognized by God. And what happened? After all these things have been provided, the Bible says, and as, as often as Elijah comes back, he will go in there and lay down. Elijah used to pass by. But now Elisha do not pass by anymore. The woman's house becomes the destination. Do you want God? Do you want your life, your family to be God's destination? Or do you want it to be a transit camp? Which one do you choose? Transit camp or a destination? I want my life, my family to be the destination. The Bible says it came to pass. It fell on one day. It just takes one day that Elisha came and he looked at everything and he said to Gehazi, he said, call the Shunammite. And the Bible says when the Shunammite came, she stood at the door. I want you to pay attention. She could have come into the house, into the room, because she and her husband built the place. But the Bible says she stood by the door. It's very important. And the Bible says, Elisha asked Gehazi to tell the Shunammite. Now, if the woman is standing by the door, Elisha could have asked the Shunammite. Why would Elisha pass through Gehazi to the woman when the woman is standing by the door? And what happened? Gehazi asked the woman. He said, ask the woman, you have taken this care. You have gone far and above beyond your call of duty to take care of us. What can we do for you? Do you want us to speak on your behalf to the king? Do you want us to speak to the army commander? What do you want? 
in King James, the Bible says, she said, what? Nothing, for I dwell amongst my king's fold. But another translation said, nothing, for I am satisfied and secured in my family. In order to bring the revelation of God through your wife, she must feel secured in the marriage and in the relationship. No woman that is unsecured that will bring, best, bring out her best in a marriage. She said, I am a woman who is secured and she is what? Satisfied in her own family. Despite the fact that she has no child. This is where I give kudos to the man. In the, we know that in the, in, the, in, the, in the Middle East tradition, Asia, Africa, when you have no male child, or you have no child at all, you're living in hell. In your family, in your marriage, where you are married to, you are living in hell. It is better for you to jump into the river and commit suicide. Get drowned than being in that marriage. But I give kudos to the husband. Many times we do not give honor to whom honor is due. A man who is married in Middle East at that time, and, her, and his wife had no child, yet he stayed in the marriage. The wife can testify that I am secured and satisfied in my home. That must be an exceptional man. I'm challenging every man here to be exceptional in your family. Be exceptional in your marriage. Be exceptional with your children. Be exceptional in your relationship with one another. I am challenging every man in this place. Not to look at the things your wife do not have, but to look at the things that she has. When you look at what she has, then she is able to produce the revelation of God that will benefit the family. I'll be closing. It's too much. If I continue, we're going to spend another nine days here. But the Bible says, she said, I am secured and satisfied. How many women can testify they are secured in their marriage? How many men can testify that I have produced or given a provisions that will make my wife feel secured? And she said, nothing. I don't need anything. I wasn't doing it to be recognized. I wasn't doing it to be paid back. I wasn't doing it for my name to be put in the scriptures. I was being myself. I was allowing myself to be whom God created me to be. Despite the fact that I still have a need. Her greatest need is still unmet. Yet, she did not act based on her need. And then Elisha said, well, there must be something that we can do. I'm bringing up another challenge. He said to Gehazi, there must be something we can do. I want to challenge everybody here. You can look to your left and look to your right. Look at your neighbors. Do you know that they all have a need? Elisha said to Gehazi, what can we do for her? This is where it comes and calls for intercession. Gehazi said, verily, truly, she has no child. She has no son. And her husband is old. Do you know his needs? Have you interceded for him? Do you know her needs? Have you interceded for her? Tell me who you know his or her needs here that you have interceded for. We have people who are, who are sick. How many times have you interceded for them? 
We have young women looking for husband. We have young men looking for children. How many times have you taken the step to intercede? Yet you are with God every day. Gehazi was with God. Gehazi was with Elisha every day. But the revelation came and Gehazi said, Surely he looked into her greatest need. There's a vacuum in all of us. There's a vacuum in all of us, irrespective of how you dress, how you speak, how you sound, how you work. There is a vacuum in all of us. It needs an intercession to occupy the vacuum. He says, surely she has no child, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, tell the Shunammite, by this time, according to the seasons of life, you shall carry a son. And the woman said, no, my Lord, do not lie to your servant. This is important. She has been disappointed many times with prophecies. She has been disappointed many times with proclamations. She has been disappointed many, many times with God said, I told you the Lord said. Every prophecy you have been told that when you pay $1 million, you get it. It never came to pass. You bought anointing oil. You bought handkerchiefs. You bought all kinds of books. Read from Genesis to Revelation. You read the books from Methuselah to, to Jericho. It didn't make a difference in your life. If you're, look, if you're sick, you're still sick. If you've gone for dialysis, you're still going for dialysis. If you're diabetic, you're still diabetic. If you have no child, you still have no child. All the prophecies have come and gone to the point that you are now immune to the word of God. You don't want to hear it anymore. He said, no, my Lord, don't lie to me. She recognized he is God in person, yet she said, don't lie to me because I've been spoken to before and it did not come to pass. But neither should she know that it is what one day. All the revelations and prophecies that have failed, all it takes is one day. I don't know how many people here who want today to be there one day. Yeah. I don't know how many people who have been disappointed in the past that want to say, today is going to be my one day. Yeah. I don't know how many people who have perceived the move of God that want to say, I'm going to build a place for God in my family. I'm going to put a table. I'm going to put a bed. I'm going to put a candlestick. I'm going to make sure that God will not pass me by, but he will dwell in my place. Yeah. One day. One day. 